Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. Another week. How are things in Ohio? They are good. You know, it's funny. We're going to talk some about sugars and forages and pasture, which the snow is just starting to melt here. But I mean, spring pasture isn't that far around the corner. No, I know. I know. That was my thinking was, you know, as as we start to transition into spring, things will start to green up. That's like, that's like a favorite time of year almost, you know, when things just get back onto life, you know, everything kickstarts. And starts blooming. Yeah, it's a fun time of year. I think there's a lot of promise in spring. You know, things green up, flowers bloom, horse shows on the horizon, all of that fun stuff. Yeah, so you're right. We're going to talk about forage sugars and why we should be concerned with them. But I guess I always like to start off, you know, some of the basics. And, you know, for our listeners, just a quick review. What nutrients are provided in forage? Sure. So, I mean, the number one that we think about in providing in forage, hay or pasture is just good quality fiber for the horse. There's lots of other nutrients. It's providing a lot of crude protein, quite a bit of our macro minerals, calcium, phosphorus, plenty of potassium, a little bit of our micro minerals, and certainly some amino acids, but not all of the amino acids that the horse needs. But The primary thing we generally focus on is providing that long stem forage the horse really needs to maintain healthy digestive function. So as some bigger background, if you're tuning into this podcast for the very first time, last week we talked about equine metabolic syndrome. And one of the dietary considerations with that is reducing sugar and starch in the diet. And we really quickly realized we needed a whole podcast to talk about forage sugars. So while the main thing you're focused on in choosing hay, for example, is providing really good quality fiber, for some horses, we need to be mindful of how much sugar is coming into the diet from the forage portion of their diet, whether that's hay or pasture. So that's the main reason that we're talking about this today. You'd never think of sugar in a pasture. Like I just you know, you, you're right. You think of the, the long stem forage, the fiber, the protein is always something, you know, you think about in forage. So it, it, it's funny that you, you mentioned that because forage sugars just is never at the front of your mind as a horse owner. Absolutely. I mean, people call me with questions really, really specific on, you know, what's the percentage NSC of this grain versus that grain. And, you know, we can definitely pick one that's going to bring in the lowest amount of sugar and starch in the diet. But a lot of times the amount that's coming from their forage is way higher than what's coming from the grain portion of their diet if we've chosen the right product. And a lot of people have no idea what that number is. So it's hard to manage something if you can't measure it. Right, 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 right. And uh, so I guess uh, thinking about this and and if I'm you know listener out there, I'd like to know, how do sugars accumulate in forage? You know, in, in a pasture grass, where is sugar coming from or, or how does it be produced, I guess is my question. Good question. So it's produced through photosynthesis. So you need a sunny day in order for the plant to produce sugar. And when you're talking about your grasses, the major storage carbohydrates in grasses are different types of sugars. And we'll actually probably talk about those 
a little bit more in a second. Mm -hmm. Your legumes, the major storage carbohydrate is actually starch. So it varies depending on what type of forage we're talking about. Grasses specifically accumulate sugar through the day through that process of photosynthesis. And then overnight, that sugar is used up in order for the plant to grow. It's actually really fascinating. If you have the right conditions, you would swear you'd walk outside and you're like, wow, my grass got longer overnight. It really did. It does. Yeah, it does. It does. So those sugars are produced during the day, used up by the plant overnight. There's some pretty specific weather and other needs that are required for that to happen. Right. So when you talk about fructans versus starch, can you talk a little bit about the differences of that? Like, you know, I hear that. And if I don't know what those are, why do those matter to my horse? Or, or I guess, are they digested differently? Do they affect the horse differently? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm actually going to even take it a step further back and talk about kind of how we partition carbohydrates. So if you got a hay analysis, for example, there should be three different things that we're going to look at to look at carbohydrates. So for our sugars, there are two. They're called ethanol-soluble carbohydrates. It'll be ESC and water-soluble carbohydrates, which is WSC. And really, that ethanol and that water solubility, that's related to the actual lab methodology used. But what they do is they partition out different types of your carbohydrates. So your ESC is going to be all your simple sugars. Mostly glucose, there's some other ones as well. Those are the ones that are absorbed in the small intestine really readily. And if you remember back to our last podcast... What happens when glucose is absorbed into the body? The horse releases insulin, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's ESC. If you add fructans to that, so simple sugars plus fructans, which are a storage carbohydrate very specific to grasses, that gives you WSC. And so the reason that we look at WSC in forages versus the ESC in grains is simply that you're not going to have those fructans coming from things like corn or oats, for example. Now, fructans are kind of fascinating, and the research around this has moved exponentially over time. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. originally, we were really worried about fructans because there was some research that showed that if you give horses a big dose of fructans, you will cause laminitis. So immediately the conclusion was reached that, oh, the cause of pasture laminitis are the fructans. Well, it's not quite that simple because the fructans themselves aren't actually digested by the horse. So mammals don't have the enzymes to break down fructans, and fructans are this more complex molecule of fructose and glucose, so a couple different simple sugars. Those are mostly broken down in the hindgut of the horse, And yes, if you give the horse a ton of fructans, it'll get to the hindgut, it'll break it down into those sugars, and the microbes that live back there will rapidly ferment it, which really drives down the pH of the hindgut. And then you actually have endotoxemia. So all these things are able to escape from the hindgut. You have this toxic shock type syndrome that causes laminitis. In those horses, they didn't just experience laminitis. They also experienced things like horrible diarrhea, tachycardia, fevers, 
that's not that representative of what most of pasture laminitis looks like. That actually looks more like the horse who broke into the grain room and ate 50 pounds of corn type laminitis. So, you know, once they dug a little bit deeper, they went, wait, you know, if fructans aren't broken down in the small intestine of the horse for the most part, and most of these horses that are having laminitis on pasture have high insulin, it's probably not because of fructans that they are becoming laminitic. So instead, that's where we go back to all those simple sugars and grasses. So they have both types of storage carbohydrates, but it's the glucose and those other simple sugars, the same as what we see in our grain that can be super high in grass that cause that metabolic response of that big release of insulin that causes most of the laminitis that happens on pasture. Now, just, just to make things a little extra complicated, there's even newer research that yeah, says, yeah. well, fructans might be involved a little bit. So it's really cool. You know, there's one study that looked at circulating fructose in the blood of horses fed really rich fructan pasture, and those horses' fructose went up. Well, what's happening through maybe a couple different mechanisms is a little bit of fructans may be broken down in the small intestine, and then that fructose is absorbed by the horse. And what's interesting about this in other models, like rats, for example, they have found that fructose can make insulin resistance worse. And then to take it a step further, there's some even newer research that took two groups of horses, a group that was insulin resistant and a group that was healthy. And they actually dose them with fructans, not enough to cause like that horrible mm. toxic laminitis right, right, right. type event, yeah. but enough that they found that those insulin resistant horses, when they were dosed with fructans, their insulin resistance got worse. However, that didn't happen in the healthy horses. There was no change in insulin resistance in the healthy horses. So it's pretty fascinating in that fructans, we've moved on from the thought that they're the main cause of laminitis. Mm -hmm, and we say mm -hmm. most of it's probably driven by just the regular old sugars in the grass. And those can be super high at certain times. However, fructans might have this modifying impact that in horses that are already prone to insulin resistance laminitis, it might make it worse. This is why people like Dr. Rambo get paid a lot of money to figure this stuff out because <laughs> that it, it, it's fascinating. You're right. Cause I, I have not been exposed to that research. I, and to think about it, it is complex. Like a lot of this stuff, there's multiple reasons for horses to either develop laminitis. There's no silver bullet out there. And so I think a big take home message listening to you talk about that is as a horse owner, you know, obviously, like we always talk about how, how horse owners are always trying to find out as much information, very well educated, uh, very well read. If you have concerns, reach out to tribute uh, to, to any nutritionist you know to help you figure some of this stuff out because it is complex and there's multiple factors, you know, especially when you have a laminitic horse or an insulin resistant horse, things like that. It's funny you talk about fructose because I go back to my master's research. I was looking at fructose and foals. Fructose, I generally associate with fruit sugars, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And, and it's not a readily, uh, 
metabolized. It's not something horses normally metabolize, right? They're, they're not eating fruit. That's not part of their diet. They didn't evolve to do that. And I know you briefly mentioned it earlier, but I, I find it fascinating. So can we talk about when, you know, we'll, we'll look at the simple sugars and starch and the fru- fructans. When are they highest in the plant, like growth cycle? So this is pretty interesting. So when we're talking about grasses, starch is relatively low in your grasses, except when they're super mature because they've created seed heads. That's when you're going to have some starch. But for the most part, starch is going to be pretty low. Your sugars are going to be the largest contribution in your grasses. Keep in mind, though, they're digested the same way. Both of them are absorbed as glucose in the small intestine and create that insulin response. So mostly in grasses, we're talking about sugars and your sugars, whether your simple sugars or your fructans, they are accumulated throughout the day. So they're going to be lowest first thing in the morning. They're accumulated throughout the day. And then provided you have the right conditions, they're used up overnight. So when it gets really cold, your grass isn't going to grow overnight. If you have things like drought or any other stressors on your pasture, say it's really overgrazed, that's actually going to prevent the plant, the grass, from really growing the way it's supposed to. And in that case, you get more and more sugar accumulated in your grass. So that's why in the spring and in the fall especially, we'll have these incidences where you'd have that cold, frosty night If you turn those horses out the next morning and they're really insulin sensitive, insulin resistant, they're more likely to have a laminitic event because that sugar didn't get used up overnight. So in terms of managing that, sometimes I get the question, is it better to turn my horses out during the day or at night? And to be perfectly honest, I think it's a coin flip because you're going from low to high during the day high to low overnight, I don't think it really matters. Theoretically, if you have the opportunity to like very intensely manage your horses, you could just turn them out for those couple hours earliest in the morning. That would be the lowest, but that doesn't guarantee it's low enough because there's all these factors related to how those fluctuations in sugar occur. So, you know, in terms of managing horses and for sugar content, it's really hard because you can't test it. It's changing hour by hour, minute by minute. No, that's really good, Nicole. Now, I I naturally go, okay, pasture to hay. How does it different in cut harvested hay versus pasture? So when your hay is cut, the amount of sugar that's in the hay is, again, dictated by the weather conditions. So if you were to cut hay after a night where it had been cold, there's probably going to be more sugar. If you were to cut hay after a couple days of cloudiness, the sugar might be lower. But it's super hard to try to, like, produce hay to be specifically low sugar because really you're at the mercy of the weather. When is that window that I can get my hay dried down? So the amount of sugar is dictated by what the plant conditions were when it was cut. There is a little bit more cellular respiration, meaning that even after the hay is cut, a little bit of that sugar does get used up. So it gets a little bit lower. Again, that doesn't guarantee it'll be low enough. I think a lot of people are looking for a simple answer like, 
go buy this variety of hay with this cutting, it will be the lowest sugar. And unfortunately, it's just not that simple. Um, there's a common misconception that like first cutting, STEMI, some people call it pony hay is low NSC. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I will mm -hmm. tell you some of, I mean, I see lots of hay tests. Some of the highest sugar hay that I have seen is that first cutting crappy hay. So that's yeah. not a guarantee that it's low. Um, talking about averages, broad averages, and remember, they're going to vary tremendously. Your cool season grasses tend to be higher in sugars than your warm season grasses. So cool season grasses used for hay a lot would be things like orchard grass or timothy. Your warm season grasses like Bermuda grass or Bahia grass tend to be lower, no guarantee. And a super common misconception would be about alfalfa. So I mentioned that legumes, their primary storage carbohydrate is actually starch, unlike our grasses. Well, typically we don't let alfalfa get so mature that it's really putting much starch into its plant. So mm -hmm. alfalfa as a whole tends to be lower NSC. A lot of times, you know, a nice alfalfa grass mix with a little bit of alfalfa can dilute the NSC in your grass and keep it a bit lower. Becomes a bit of a toss up. Sometimes those are too high calorie just from a total calorie need for the type of horse that we're looking at. So unfortunately, um, the only way to really know the sugar in your hay is to test it. So again, we'd be looking at that WSC plus starch in a hay test to truly guarantee that it's going to be safe enough. Right. Like, and again, reach out to an expert if you're struggling with some of this stuff and you're like, okay, I need help, uh, you know, figuring out, you know, starch content, things like that. I, it was interesting, you know, when you were talking about when to turn the horse out, you know, overnight during the day, again, different strategies. Are there other things we can do if we're concerned about, sugar intake with forage, other feeding strategies that an owner can use. I'm thinking feeding muzzle. Like, are there other things that you would suggest that somebody could do Abs to limit intake? Absolutely. So we talked about, I think in our last podcast, how limit turnout a lot of times doesn't decrease your intake. The horses are like, all right, I got a time schedule. I'm going to eat as mm -hmm. much grass as possible. Yep. 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 Of course, that means they're absorbing more glucose in a short amount of time, bigger insulin peak. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So grazing muzzles, like you brought up, is a great option. You are balancing a little bit like horse happiness, um, the ability to socialize, even the exercise they get from turnout. So there's a lot of situations where turnout really is still positive for these horses if you can somehow control their sugar intake. And a grazing muzzle is a fantastic way to do that. Some other approaches are things like dry lots. So they're still turned out, but not on grass. So they have, you know, a pen that's dirt or stone dust, something like that. And then you provide hay that you know is low NSC, whether you've tested it. Another option is soaking it. Um, so if you soak your hay um, up to an hour, so anywhere between 15 minutes and an hour, it does draw some of the sugars out. Ideally, again, you test it before and after you soaked it to know that you were getting it low enough. You know, you can soak it too long. You actually lose some dry matter if you do that and some other nutrients. And of course, I can't imagine soaking hay in the middle of the winter. That would be a miserable proposition. <laughs> no, thanks. No, thanks. Uh, you know, a final thing I can think of that I've done with some customers is there are some bagged forages that are guaranteed low NSC. 
they're certainly more expensive, especially if you live like in the Midwest where hay is pretty readily available. But if you're only doing it for one horse or you live somewhere like Florida where all hay is expensive, it it really does work out to be economical in some markets. And then you take that guessing game out of it because it's hard. I mean, a lot of barns, by the time you get the test back, they're on to the next batch of hay. So it's really challenging to make sure you have that lower NSC hay. And finally, Nicole, you know, so we could wrap this up. If I'm concerned with forage sugars or I know they're higher at certain times a year, do I alter, you know, considerations when I feed concentrate? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, with most of these horses, we're going to pick a low NSC concentrate from the beginning. So at least we're doing the best job to manage the part of the diet that's easy to manage. So I'd say it'd be pretty rare that we would be moving that based on time of year. The thing that can change, um, particularly if I have a horse who is out on pasture, pasture tends to be more palatable. They tend to eat more of it. Even in a grazing muzzle, sometimes horses will better maintain their weight during the summer on pasture than they will during the winter on hay. So sometimes we might have to change from a low NSC full concentrate, something like Calm and Easy or Wholesome Blend Senior, which is meant to be fed at four more pounds per day for your average size horse to maybe in the summer, they just get a ration balancer like Essential K or the Wholesome Blends balancer. But that's more related to just total calorie intake as well as making sure they get all their essential nutrients, not so much a consideration about how much other sugars coming in from the diet. Right. Okay. Well, a fascinating discussion. It's, it's again, very complex. So if you have any questions, you know, please go to our show notes. We always provide a link. You can reach out to the tribute team. They will, they will answer any of your questions. They can help formulate diets for you. They, they can help point you in the right direction uh, for any of your needs. But again, thank you for listening. If you're really enjoying this podcast, we just ask that you share this with your equine enthusiast friends. And if you don't mind going to iTunes and dropping a five-star review, quick comments that helps us grow our audience, you know, trying to get this information out, educating horse owners. It's what we're passionate about. But thank you so much for listening. Thanks all.